You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته You're listening to Radio Ramadan on 87.7 FM. This is Reflections. We're joined in the studio, myself, uh, your host for today, uh, Ahmed Sheikh. And with me we have uh, my co-host, sidekick, uh, best pal brother, and so on and so forth, um, Ahmad Mahmoud. Assalamu alaikum. How you doing, bro? You all right? Alhamdulillah, good. Alhamdulillah, good to hear from you. Well, we're also joined today in the studio, uh, as always, by uh, our local esteemed Sheikh Razwan Mohammed. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. How are you? Are you well? Jazakallah khair. Alhamdulillah, so good to have you. Um, we're now three days into Ramadan. Uh, Ahmad, how have your fast been going so far? Alhamdulillah, it's, it's been, I, th- I think, in the run up to it, especially with the long days, everyone always has a bit of, you know, a bit of apprehension that, oh, this is going to be tough. But yeah. Alhamdulillah, once, once Ramadan starts, it's never, it's never as tough as you built it up in your head. Yeah, absolutely. What I find is I, I always get by on the first day on adrenaline. And then the second day, you're still running off that background adrenaline. And then the third day, it hits you and it hits you hard. And today, um, obviously, being the first day back at work as well, um, it's been quite difficult. And I'm sure it's been the same for, for a lot of us. Now, we'll be at that time um, of the day as we'll be preparing iftar, just winding down, um, and we'll be feeling lots of different emotions. Uh, hopefully, we spent the day uh, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that's the, the purpose of our fast um, and spending, taking many opportunities to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is watching. And we'll be feeling different things from different angles so whether it's uh, our day-to-day uh, work that we've done or whether we we see things on the news and i think nowadays uh, we've been seeing quite a lot in the news that that's hits you in different ways yeah i i, I think obviously most uh, <coughs> most at the front of our minds at the moment is the the, the, the incident in manchester that just you know it, it, it's sad to say but you see things like that happen on uh happen in news daily now and 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 everyone talks about uh, to a certain extent we're all becoming a bit desensitized um but this this you know felt really close to home uh manchester is a place you know very close to here and i'm sure every, everyone has family and friends that are in that area and i think you know in, in the last week we've had lots of discussions about the the politics of the situation the tragedy of the situation um and i think we wanted to today maybe talk a bit about what impact that has on on our faith and and um you know from from many angles from from angles of thinking about um <coughs> what accusations we take on from from the outside world accusations of of um, Islam being violent, accusations of um, you know Islam having tendencies towards that. Um, trying to understand in ourselves that this faith that we 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 have, um, which you know we associate with um, the the many positive uh, aspects that we do, and then you know then hearing that others have, have morphed it into something that we just don't recognise. Uh, and so it's almost a case of you know not only struggling to defend against others and, and their accusations but also struggling to to come to terms with it in, in one's own mind um what, what, what what's your take on that shay bismillahirrahmanirrahim um <clears throat> i mean the last time i was in we were, we were just discussing generally about the the backdrop to ramadan usually um ramadan for muslims um in the west i've noticed just generally that we have um always and punctuated Ramadan with an ex- experience other than Ramadan. So it's not just Ramadan and fasting and the, and the difficulties obviously we have 
in terms of timetabling, you know, kind of, or when does Ramadan start, when when is Eid, uh, all the kind of things that people, you know, th- usually used to talk about. But there's also always something that um, also, you know, brings us to think about um, aspects of our faith which are not necessarily related to um, fasting. I mean, you know, sometimes you have natural disasters which require, you know, the community really to come together to provide charity. And I remember when I was in um, Istanbul, I was there for three years, and I remember every single Ramadan, there was something in the news which was almost uh, contrived and, and created by the, 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 the kind of secular media to really put a damper on the Muslims feeling Ramadan had come. And there was always something about some kind of controversy about some Muslim scholar or, or Muslims in general, some kind of expose. And it was always such a minority expose. It was about one person in a million. But it was made out to be this kind of symptomatic issue by Muslims in Turkey, which meant that Ramadan shouldn't be celebrated and we need to turn our back on our faith and all these kind of things. So it was very loaded political um, hands behind that process. When you come into into Britain, I mean, we have this you know thing that's happened in Manchester right before Ramadan. And I, I teach in Manchester. One of the classes we do is in Manchester, one's in Birmingham. I was supposed to be in Manchester on the Monday. I mean, we have three teachers, myself, Sheikh Amr and Sheikh Bilal Brown. Sheikh Bilal Brown is actually from Moss Side. He's a convert. He's an Afro-Caribbean, converted to Islam just um, probably about um, 12 years ago, I think. And he went uh, went to Syria to study. He went to Yemen to study. came back. He's one of our teachers. I remember when this this event happened in, in Manchester, he was so hurt because he's from Moss Side. You know, Moss Side's right in the hood of, of Manchester and and it, and it shook him because he's part... When I, when I met him in Manchester just um, a year ago, he was so much part and parcel of Manchester. Mm-hmm. He was born there, brought up. You know, the way we walk up and down Glasgow, and we say, this is Sucky Hall Street, this is Dumbarton Road, this is... Depending where you're from, this is... What's that place? Fox Shields, uh, Mark Maxwell Drive, or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, all those places where you know it from birth, that's how he loved his city. Even as the Prophet loved his city. Because remember, we always, we always think that we shouldn't have intense love for the city that we were born in, we were brought up in. But the Prophet, um, he was brought up in Mecca to Muqarramah. And um, in his first revelation, if we take you back to the first revelation the Prophet received, when he received it, he ran back to his, his wife Khadija radiallahu anha. She took him to Nawfal, Warqab uh, Nawfal. And he said to the Prophet, your, your community and your people are going to throw you out of your city. And the Prophet said, he was startled. He said, are they going to throw me out of my city? Mm. That was the thing that hit him out of everything, about receiving revelation, about being the final prophet of God. The thing that he couldn't get his head around, so I said, it was the fact that his city that he knew and the people that he loved were going to throw him out. He loved it so much. And when the Prophet left and he was thrown out, eventually out of the city when he left, uh, he looked back and says, indeed, you're the most beloved cities of, to me. And if it wasn't for my people throwing me out, I would never have left you. That is the type of feeling we have to have for this this community that we have here, which is Glasgow, which for people in Manchester is Manchester, people in Birmingham is Birmingham, people in London is London. They have an affinity to it. They have to feel a belonging to it. Because as human beings, what are we social animals? We mm-hmm. we feel an affinity to the, to the kind of community that we are, and we want the best for it. The Prophet could have easily have said about the Meccans, they're all people of no faith and may God destroy them. He never he never said that. Even at the point where he was thrown out and he was heckled and he was bleeding from the, from the torment that they had um, you know, kind of brought to his, his door, 
he he prayed for them. He did not allow the angels to destroy them. And it's strange that 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 mentality of destruction, mm. that mentality of violence, that men, mentality of enmity, uh, has started to you know rear its head. And we have to question why that is, because it's not something from our tradition. It's something that is an antithetical movement to our traditions, complete opposite what our tradition is. And that's really what, why Mansur for me is, is quite interesting because from one aspect you could say, you know, why they're doing it is foreign policy. From another aspect, you know, foreign policy in and of itself does not lead to a person justifying things through um, theology and religion and religious texts and all the trappings of fatwas and things like that. You know, if you look at how ISIS preach and they teach and what they teach, in their in the in, in the places that they have control over, it's all theology, it's all Quranic verses, but a completely skewed version of our of our tradition. So it's interesting that you know when the day that this happened, which was on on the Monday evening, the next day I had a class in Glasgow, um, in, in in Glasgow, the same class, um, I syllabus we teach in Manchester Mondays and Tuesdays in 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 Glasgow, and it just happened that the lesson we were teaching. We were teaching three. We always three, teach three lessons. So one of the lessons was purification of the heart. Uh, so it was a pretty standard lesson. We were talking also about uh, funeral prayer. So death. There was a kind of discussion about the pondering over death and the importance of death. The third lesson, for for a complete coincidence, was on suicide bombing. And I tell you, when I taught that lesson, I, I didn't tell people that a lot of people don't prepare. I don't know if you know this that you know students of knowledge even though they're called students, they don't usually prepare, they don't know what they're coming in to learn. So a lot of them come in, they sit down, and they just wait for you to teach. Mm. And then, oh, that's an interesting topic. Oh, that's a very fantastic topic. I enjoyed that lesson. But when I taught the suicide bombing, I said, we're going to talk about something which is un which is not planned, but it's, it's been planned by God, God's decree last year that we're going to talk about this now. And a lot of people after that lesson came up to me and said, that's just why. Condemn um, what happened. The condemnation is is the condemnation of God first and foremost. You know, it is condemned by God and His messenger, the killing of innocents. But the lesson was interesting because it, it got me to reflect over why the lesson was in the course in the first place. The lesson, the, the, the lesson on suicide bombing was in the course because people had asked, well, you know, they want to make sense of you know everything in their life. They want to make sense of their prayer, their fasting, charity, marriage, divorce. They want to make sense of, you know, halal meat. People are so infatuated with eating the best meat, especially in Ramadan, where Muslims eat, I think, 20 times more than they eat. But yeah, outside, you know, they consume all the hormones. But suicide bombing was there because it shows how Islamic law looks at this issue of war and peace. So what does Islam say about war and peace? Because that's one of the biggest, as Ahmadi was saying, one of the things that is going to be the, a big issue for the community is the fact that we will be constantly bombarded over the next generation and two, next two generations on the fact that Muslims are inherently violent. It's not going to go away, it's going to get worse and it's going to be constant 24-7. Uh, your children in primary school all the way to university will be, will be fed this idea that Muslims are violent but look, some Muslims are not violent. Sheikh, how do you defend that? Um, obviously, we, we're obviously, uh -huh. we know we're, we're not violent, but when you, your colleagues and, you, and your friends and your peers, people that you meet, every time there's a suicide bombing, it's, it's a Muslim face, and, you know, how do you defend that? Obviously, we know that it's not our faith, but 
it takes you to a place of almost despair. Yeah, I mean, you're saying you know it's not your faith, but you really have to justify why you know it's not your faith. Because mm. I can speak to lots of people, and they will say, "I don't. This is not the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam." And absolutely true. And the reason why they know that is because how they were brought up with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is not that 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 type of individual that would do those those kind of things. But we do need. We're up against a massive machinery of propaganda against our faith. It's just a given mm. that you know the right-wing press and just general interest groups in society are there to create a kind of uh, you know kind of a, a kind of a boogeyman for for the general population. There's always the need for that in any society, and Muslims are not. Um, you know, free of that. If you go to any Muslim country, things go dif- th- things become difficult. They always look for a scapegoat, mm. and so it's, it's part of human nature. And this is why Ramadan is interesting, um, because it, we look at human nature. What is part of human nature? Being angry, being envious, being jealous of people, and um, looking to blame other people are all part and parcel of human nature. Because you want to cut the corners, you want to blame other people. You never want to blame yourself. Mm. In fact, it's the quality of prophets to blame themselves, even though they're free of blame. And that is elevating themselves because like the Prophet Yusuf, he said, I'll never absolve my soul of blame because the soul constantly moves it towards evil. Now that's a prophet. He's telling you that because even though his soul is pure, he's telling you that you will always be pe- people that will always blame the other person. If you're ma- in a marriage situation, you'll blame your husband or your wife. If you're in, in a work situation and the work's not going that well, you'll blame your colleague of, of being slack. But the real human being is the one that points the finger to themselves. And as, as a Muslim community, we have to realize that human nature is that they will point to us. And we have to have enough information, enough knowledge of history, of our tradition, of the seed of the Prophet of his life, of every single moment that he lived. And we know that the Prophet was, was studied and his life recorded like no other human being on the face of this earth. Mm. Like that's, that's a complete fact. If you think of it, over 1400 years, an individual lived at that time, his life has been recorded in the most minute detail, both the things that are private and public, to the point that we are able now to talk about every single moment. We can talk about the day of the Prophet from waking until sleep and every single, even in the moments of the Prophet and blessed sleep we can even talk about that and we can talk about you know, how the Prophet and his life was, was understood by the very very close companions that he had and that means we can, we can offer a very strong defence and this is really when I was speaking to Zubair in the, in the first um, the first programme I thought what would be fantastic to do is to provide a, 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 a detailed um, ex- response to the accusation that Muslims are inherently violent or Islam is inherently violent mm-hmm. the first thing to do, look at is the fact that the Prophet Islam completely forbade the killing of innocent people mm-hmm. we know that for a fact we, we know the fact that the Prophet would care for you know, if there was a, if there was a, a puppy in, in the road of the army the Prophet would, would, would stop the army marching and he would make sure that there was somebody stationed at, the, at the, the place where the puppy was to make sure it wasn't harmed that's the level of concern the Prophet had for animals, never mind human beings. The Prophet used to, you know, you, you know this yourself, the Prophet used to tell people off and censor people for sitting on, 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 a, on a horse or a camel when they weren't riding it because it was just distressful for the animal. 
Like we know the, the Prophet's love for, for, for the animal kingdom forgets human beings. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَكَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ We have honored the sons of Adam. The sons of Adam are mentioned in the Qur'an because it means that there's no difference between a Muslim and a non-Muslim in the, in the fact of honoring the human being. And this is something I, 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 I get vexed about because a lot of Muslims, they, they tend to have this in the back, even the, in the back of their mind, even if they don't say it, the back of their mind that there is some kind of more, there's more importance to being religious than to being a human being. Whereas the opposite is the case. The opposite is the case. The case is that first of all you're a human being, first of all you uphold the, the human qualities, and then you, you supplement that and you perfect it through the prophetic qualities. And this is why you know you have the hadith, famous hadith of Imam Ahmad, one of the one of the people from the tribe of um, Bani um, Bani Sulaim came to the Prophet and he says, He said, "What did you come with to the Prophet He said, "In other words, you know, what have you been sent with, and who are you? Ma anta? What are you?" He says, it's a very strange question, but what are you? He said, "I'm a, I'm a prophet, and what have you been sent with?" He says, "Be arham. I've been sent." And think of it, if, if, you were, if, if you were the Prophet and somebody asked you what you sent with, you would say with Tawheed and the five prayers and the fasting and the Zakat and uh, Hajj Ramadan and you have to believe in God and the angels and, and the messengers and the books and the last day. You would, you would rattle off all these things because this is your manifesto. You know nowadays we're talking, we're in the middle of the madness. <laughs> <laughs> which may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from Maybe. of having to select or um, yeah select <laughs> but what the manifesto is what this is what we stand for so this person came from Bani Sulaim a Bedouin came to the Prophet and asked what's your manifesto basically you, 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 you claim to have something special what is it the Prophet didn't mention things that we always mention he says I've been ordered to, to connect the ties of kinship. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, if you're upset with your uncle or your, your brother or your mother, I've been told to come to people with that. And also to protect and preserve people's blood. What is that? That means that your manifesto policy, that's your bullet point. So the first thing is to make sure family units are strong. Second thing is to protect the sanctity of blood. And there was pe- in, in the Arabian Peninsula, people killed for fun. This city, people kill for, used to kill for fun. It was famous for that. Even, in fact, I have a friend in, in Liverpool who's scared to come to Glasgow because he <laughs> thinks he thinks that we are we eat people alive, which is good. I mean, it's good to have that kind of notoriety. <laughs> so when I go down to, to any place, I always have that kind of. Aura of, yeah. <laughs> of violence. <laughs> I, I, I think it's really interesting to see that, you, that, that that was something I picked on, I uh, picked up on that you're speaking about earlier. It's just this this general feeling of of humanity. I, I don't know if you saw in in the last week um, since since the the events in Manchester, there was a, a young Muslim guy in Manchester who did the sort of stunt where he was stood in the middle of the street with a blindfold on, mm. and he put a sign next to him that said. That I am Muslim, I trust you. Mm-hmm. Do you trust me enough to give me a hug? And he just stood in the street with his arms open, uh, and it was really powerful to watch actually because within 15 minutes there were literally there were people queuing up to hug this guy, people in tears, people in tears about the fact that he as a Muslim felt that he had to do that um, mm-hmm. in the context of of, of of where he lived, and and you know it made, it made me feel that there was 
you know there was a lot of hope and there was a lot of love coming from the the the, the side of of the non-Muslims as Mancunians, feeling that they had this love towards this other Mancunian, regardless of of whether he was Muslim or non-Muslim, and and you know is that something that we as a Muslim community have have lost or something that we don't see the importance in and and having that you know <clears throat> almost as in their mentality or um, having that lack of feeling towards um, towards the, 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 the general community amongst we live. Do we think of ourselves as just a community? When, when someone says community to us, do we just think of the Muslim community or do we think of ourselves as a part of a wider community that we have uh, you know, affection for, that we feel a part of? Um, is that something that we've lost? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll probably say something which is not proper or popular, which is that generally the Muslim community as a community that are called Muslims, so people that are identified as being Muslims, I think generally their 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 sense of humanity, because they're they they come from predominantly from a from an immigrant background, so they've seen difficulties and seen the importance of family and society, they have their your level of humanity is actually very high. I've noticed that. I've noticed people um, just in general. But one thing I have seen is that the, if people become religious, they have to check themselves to retick that box. Because it's almost as if the religious identity and the practicing of your, your faith, because it's slightly skewed and it's from books and it's not in the... Usually I've not found it to be in the presence of, of, of how we, or myself, I learned it in, in the presence of, of teachers and scholars in a society that was, you know, an educational society. Because it's so detached, and a lot of it's from your social media feed, and it's from you know podcasts and things like that, it's you know almost like in terms of the way you process it, the way that your mind processes religion is detached from society. So you're kind of ticking off boxes. I need to do this, and I need to do that, and that naturally creates a barrier between you and other people. So even the simple thing of purity, for example, if your friend's got a dog, that subconsciously creates a kind of barrier, and you know. The more that you start to practice, and if you don't understand your faith, subconsciously you start to create that kind of division. But it's not out of intent. It's never out of evil intent. That's the important thing. It needs to be checked. And that's why, you know, one of our teachers, Sheikh Habib Omar, when we were leaving, um, one of the advice he, he would give was that when you go and go to, the, go to where, you're, where you're from, which is the West, and you speak to people, never, in fact, he said, always consider the person you're speaking to of a higher state status than you spiritually in, in the eyes of God everybody and he knew we were from England, Scotland, America Australia and the general idea of, the, of people there is what you know for people that are in, have gone wrong in their religious identity and wrong, gone wrong in their religious practice is that these people are not worthy of any attention we need to convert them but the reality was the Prophet um, for all of the community, for all the all the people in Arabia, he was harisun alikum. He was he was concerned about them. And then the Quran said, And for the believers, kind and merciful, or or or, 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 or clement and mer merciful. In fact, he spread that 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 positivity for everybody. And then when it came to the four, then you know when people became Muslims, it was such an outpouring of of relief. But it was just a natural step for these people. It was a very natural step. I, I think that's, that's really profound to, to subhanAllah see it in that mm -hmm. light. Um.
what we've been seeing in the news and we've been reflecting on um, the, the image of Islam uh, in today's day and age and uh, Sheikh, just before the, the break you were talking about how Rasulullah was mercy not just for, for the Muslims but mercy for all the mankind mm-hmm. um, and subhanAllah it was amazing that the advice that you shared with us that your teacher gave of seeing everybody in, in a higher state of piety than you, um, knowing that you're living in the land, um, mm. not of Muslims, subhanAllah. I mean, that, that's, it's interesting because that part of it is, is tazkiyah. Tazkiyah is to purify the heart. One of the greatest sins, in fact, is, uh, it was Sufyan al rahmatullah he said that every sin that's committed out of passion, um, forgiveness for that is uh, exp- Understood to be coming from Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, because he said the 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 the, the slip of Adam was from a desire to eat something, hmm. and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala forgave him. But he says any indiscretion or sin that comes from arrogance, then Allah will not forgive forgive that because the sin of Shaitan was arrogance. And so one of what our teacher was actually saying was partly it was directly directed to ourselves, which is. Don't be arrogant, which mm. is don't arrogate yourself the quality of being higher than a person because of whatever quality it is, and whether it's knowledge, whether it's wealth, whether it's tribal allegiances, whether it's you know khandan, whether it's your your family connections, or where it's your pra- passport. Because a lot of you know, when you travel in the, in the in the world, you realise a British passport you know is is like it's, it's up it's right up there. It's the ace of spades, isn't it? It's right it's, unless you're. <laughs> You have it. I had my passport um, confiscated by the, the Yemeni's authorities. I didn't couldn't care if I was British. <laughs> I found out then that the best passport to have is Canadian passport. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, because my friend was in Canada. He was in the same situation. He went. He didn't even have an embassy in 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 Sanaa. He got a phone call from somebody in Canada. They sent a letter. He went with the letter to the the police police um, station, which is Mohabarat, which is the secret police. And he gave it to them, and, and he gave it the, the, the passport back. I took the letter. The next day I went in and I threw the letter at the guy. I said, I want my passport. And he just <laughs> looked at the Canadian staff and he says, he said to his, um, the man is right, he said, just give him his passport and let him go. No, well, so I've still got a letter. <laughs> in the event of. <laughs> so, I mean, um, I don't know why I'm talking about that. It's probably the fast. But... Um, this idea of you know kind of elevating yourself based upon your nationality, based upon your knowledge or or your wealth, that is that is essential. So to have that idea that everybody is is, is human, everybody shares in that quality of Bani Adam of being Bani Adam, and even in Ramadan, one of the things about the fast of Ramadan is that a majority of the hadith that talk about the beauty of Ramadan and and the benefits of Ramadan actually talk about um, the son of Adam eating something. Or the son of Adam has, like the famous hadith of the Prophet when he said the son of Adam has never ate anything worse than what he is full used to fill his his stomach. And if the son of Adam um, had more than two bellies, he would ha- have completed it until his mouth was full with, with dust. You know the idea that you'll constantly consume, but that's the son of Adam. So lots of hadiths talk about the son of Adam, the humanity of the son of Adam, and what's important when you realise that is that there's something that connects us all. If you look at, if you go out tomorrow when you're walking down the street, you look look at the faces that you pass. Every single person shares a quality. Before they're, 
you know, they're a supporter of Celtic or Rangers or they're a Catholic Protestant or they're from Partick, Southside, East End or whatever, Muslim or, or, or Jew or, or Christian or no faith, the first thing that strikes you is that they're human beings. Mm. And it's interesting that the thing that that thing that connects you with the human being comes from birth. It comes from the process of, of, of procreation, which is in Arabic rahim. Rahim is a word that's used to specifically donate and, and refer to the, the human, the woman's um, reproductive, um, you know, you know, kind of process of having a womb to be able to to have a have a child and to give birth to it. And that is the word in Arabic that they that they use for for mercy as well. Because think of it, it is it has no conditions. So the child is there within the womb. It has there's no conditions to the protection and support and nourishment and nurturing that the child will receive. There's no conditions. It is given that and it has no care. I mean, some of the pictures you see of of kids and of of kids in the womb sitting back with their hands behind their heads, totally relaxed mm. because. They'd rather, I mean, when they come out, they'd rather go back in. That's why a lot of scholars say when the child comes out into the world, it cries because of the, of the, of the shock of what they're coming into. And when they leave, they leave laughing because they know that what they've left is of, of, no, of no use to them. And so Rahim is, is an interesting word because it's the word for mercy. And the Prophet, as I mentioned before, the Prophet was one of the names of the Prophet was that he's been Mu'minin Ra'uf or Rahim. He was. He was compassionate and merciful for the believers and that quality is derived from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's names, his qualities themselves and this is one of the most fundamental you know, if you were going to say what is the most important in description of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is the one that Allah uses in every single chapter of the Quran you've been to Taraweeh, you'll know that every single chapter starts with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of God, the most beneficent, the most merciful except one, there's a reason for that, which is to dis- push home the fact that God is compassionate and merciful mm. it's sufficient to say it once why is it always the, the, the calling card of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you at the beginning of any chapter that God reminds you that you know it's like you know when you meet somebody you give, you give them a card you know you mm. parting and you give them a card so they'll remember you by this your, your phone number your name your profession Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always starts off with the calling card which is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim and that means that, that of all the things that you will experience in your life and of all the qualities of God that you will hear about and of all the experiences of, of, of creation that you will you will come through in your life which is ease and happiness, difficulty, toil and trouble never forget that the one that created you, nourished you and sustaining you is compassionate and merciful Can, can you get too comfortable with that? You cannot get too comfortable with that because yeah, it depends what you mean by too comfortable with that. Does it mean you just say, well, you know, I don't have to worry about what mm. I do because God is compassionate, is merciful. A lot of companions felt that. Abu Dhar al-Ghafari, when the Prophet said to him, whoever, every person who says, La ilaha illallah, dakhala al-jannah, everybody who says, La ilaha illallah, will enter paradise. Mm. And, and Abu Dhar al-Ghafari said, even if they, you know, have illicit sex, even if they, um, you know, steal and the Prophet yes, even that even that, and Abu Dhar started to to dispute that he said, come on, even if they have this, do this even if they do that, and the Prophet said naam, kathalik, this is going to happen and Abu Dhar who relates the hadith he says, this is the case Raghma Anf Abidhar 
He says, this is the case which if you say La ilaha illallah, you'll enter paradise through God's mercy, despite my nose. In Arabic, that means my arrogance and my, you know, my de- detesting that and my wanting to make the person change that. But no, the reality is that God's mercy encompasses every single thing. But the other thing is that God's justice also um, is part and parcel. So one of the things that scholars say is that your path to God is like the path of a, of a, of a bird to its, to its um, nest. It has two wings and the two wings get it to its nest. Mm. If you want to arrive at your destination, you have to choose both, which is one is, is based upon the quality of mercy and reflecting on that, which is hope in God's mercy. And the other thing is khawf, is having fear of God's um, reprimand because you are asked by God to do certain things as well. So when the Prophet said that he was sent, I was mentioning previously, the Prophet said he was sent to join the ties, ties of kinship with your family, to preserve and protect blood, to, to underline the sanctity of blood. And the Prophet also said, I don't think I mentioned this, also said, and to protect the, 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 the roads and, and the pathways. And it was to create security mm-hmm. in a society. That's what the Prophet was sent with. So if you cut your ties of kinship, and and it's interesting actually, Isal al-Arham means to connect. Um, the womb actually literally means, because Rahman is is the name kind of is the name of Allah Subhanahu the most compassionate, the most merciful, depending on the on the translation. But it comes from this word which is womb, and that's the thing that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala you know taught the Prophet and said you're sent to protect this, which is your common your commonalities in terms of human beings. And the most specific of that is your family unit. Mm. has to be the most important thing that you protect. If you don't protect that, which is the closest thing that you have to other human beings, then how are you going to protect you know, the connection you have with a person from Yugoslavia or from Kenya or from South America? Because the distance is more, the propensity to be more um, prejudicial is more. You can say that person is a slightly different colour from me. But you can't say that about your brother, your sister, your your uncle, because they're the, generally the same race, same nationality. But what is it that's draw, drawing you away from them? Something else. And that's why, you know, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala chose the, this kind of calling card for Himself mm-hmm. to remind you that if you're saying, "Can you get too comfortable with that?" God's mercy is such that that comfort finds a place somewhere. You understand the month, the month of Ramadan tells you that. So you have in, the, in, the, in this month, you'll find people, you know, whoever, whatever they did in the past, they did in the past. But they always find a way, and despite the community not li- allowing them a way in, in terms of starting to pray and to fast and to have a connection with God and to have a real heart, deep heartfelt um, feeling of of God speaking to them, they feel that despite the fact that they may have you know, the day before Ramadan committed and continue to commit such, you know, sins that you would imagine them to be the outskirts of our community. Sheikh, you'll find people, uh, all of us actually, while we're fasting, we'll be reflecting on pre-Ramadan life, and we'll be reflecting on, like you said, the, the day before, mm-hmm. and we would we'd feel the, that guilt um, of the, our sins uh, mm-hmm. that we do. What is the best way for us to attain that rahmah? Mm. For us to attain that, that mercy from Allah SWT? 
I mean, the best way is tawbah. Tawbah is, and the Prophet said, anadbu tawbah, which is that having remorse of what you've done is in and of itself tawbah, which is to turn back to God. Because in, in terms of your cognition, your understanding, just to feel sad about something, you've done, you've done the difficult thing, which is you've recognized that you have wronged yourself. You've recognized that you've fallen short of what you expect of yourself, first of all, as a human being, mm-hmm. and what you would want to do in, 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 in situations. And then you think, this is not what God asked me to do. And then you think, who is Allah? God is the one that sustained, protected, you know, has, has guided me. And what am I doing to repay all the qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has? And that is that should be the impetus for turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's open, it's an open door policy in terms of God's mercy. We don't place any restrictions. In fact, of all all of our teachers when I was in in the Middle East for a long time, there was a general tendency, you know, the idea of not never see, seeing somebody else as lower than yourself. You always consider them higher than yourself. That that was a constant thread amongst all of our teachers. It's quite strange to see that almost universally from different countries people who, who were true inheritors of the Prophet it was a constant thing you know and then you know we have the story of Badruddin Hassani who in the month of Ramadan used to send two of his students to, to go to the red light, dis- red light district of Damascus at that time which is in the 1930s and to distribute uh, money and ask the people that received it the women that received it who were selling themselves for their body ladies of the night he would ask them to he would say they would say that this is from Badruddin Hassani the greatest scholar of Damascus in fact the source of the re- revival of Islamic science in the 20th 1920th century he says this is from Badruddin Hassani he asked you to he asked from you that you pray for him and he asked uh, from you that you you wash yourself and you pray fajr okay and he asked them to pray for him yes he said the first thing this is from Badruddin Hassani he asked you to pray for him, he asked you to pray for Ghusl and pray Fajr. And that was it. He he I mean he would have understood that there is there is reasons why people get into situations like that and they're not bereft of God's mercy. Mm-hmm. And where did he get that from? He got it from the prophetic traditions of you know the the woman who was of that same profession who gave water to to a, a, a thirsty dog from a pit of water. She took her slipper and went in and, and Allah forgave her for that. That's all that the issue is. You don't prejudge people. Now Ramadan's about the the, prep, the the fact that you do not prejudge anybody. Should, should that you, goes should both you ways. Take it the other way. Should you um, not <coughs> just prejudge? Should you give them the benefit of the doubt? I mean, prejudge. I was going to say prejudge in both senses. Mm. That you don't look at a person who who looks religious, and just assume that they're the best person, and the person who doesn't look religious and assume that they're not religious. Mm. So basically. In, in this day and age you have to you have to realize that God knows best you know we always say Allah A'lam for all the wrong reasons you know when it suits us we say God knows best but we never say when God might know best because everything you see externally points in one direction but the reality is that the heart which is what God looks at is being gazed upon by Allah subhanahu wa mercy and that person, you know, you would never consider that person to be like that. And when you find this out, it's actually interesting, the more you interact with human beings, the more you find this out, where you, you assume, you say, I assumed that you were like this, but you're the most amazing person I've ever met. Mm. 
And have you ever spoken to people like that? Where you, you think this person is going through life and they're just like, the only concern is to listen to Justin Bieber or, or whatever the other stuff is. But no, they've got deep, like they send charity and they've got this desire to travel to a country and help these people. And, he, and they've actually part of some kind of group that, you know, you know works to alleviate poverty. And then everything unfolds, your idea of prejudging unfolds. Mm. And the quality of Allah and the mercy of God is that it doesn't prejudge. Rahman, and one of the names of Allah, Rahman, uh, which I kind of think we're talking about here, is it doesn't prejudge the people that receive it. So the, the, the person who receives Rahman's quality of, of mercy on this earth, God doesn't ask them, okay, let's see your background and let's see your bank balance and let's see what you've done this week. Let's see if you deserve it. Let's go through a, a credit check. And No, it just is given. And that's it. It's between you and God. And God will question you about what he's given you on the Day of Judgment. It's not for us to do that. What she, is she, how blameworthy is, is the person who, who does do that? I mean, you, you hear so much about um, you know young people especially being um, put off going near mosques, being put off going near religious institutions because they feel that it comes with so much judgment, that it comes with so much... Um, you know, almost a sort of elitist feel. How, how responsible is, is is the person who is on the other side of that, who is maybe perpetuating that, for for making them feel that way? I think it's it's, it's always difficult because the person who's doing it, you ha- you also have to give the benefit of it to the person that's doing it as well. It's a question of education because nobody comes into this wanting to do that and wanting the bar the path of a person to God because that person who's saying you can't come to the mosque or you know, you come to the mosque you have to dress properly and you can't just loiter they've probably got a perception of religion which tells them that's not permitted and what's the what's the cure for that is it's education the simple thing of education the thing that will get people killed is a lack of education like the hadith prophesied them and there was a companion who had a he had a cut in the in the Sahih Muslim he had a cut in his head and he had you know, nocturnal discharge, and so he was required to meet ghusl. And the companion said to him, and it was they were travelling, and they said to him, look, you have to do ghusl. You can, there's no other way you can do this. You have, if you want to pray, you have to pray fajr, you have to do ghusl. He prayed, the, the cup became, became, you know, infected, he died. And the companions, when they, when they experienced that, they came, when they came back to the city of the Prophet and they saw, saw the Prophet they said, they, they were so agitated, they actually mentioned this happened. We had this our friend, and he he died on the way because he infected his wound, and etc. etc. And the Prophet said, "Qataluhu," they killed him. May God kill them. May God fight them. Allah. He said they killed him. May God fight them because the the cure to ignorance is to ask. <clears throat> and the reality is that's where we are. We are in a situation where. They were well intended. They wanted the person to fulfil the religious obligation, which is to wash themselves. They washed themselves, they infected their, their their body, and they died. And the reality is that's a, a small thing, but look at the consequences. And I think a lot of people... I mean, I've noticed this. People are scared of learning. Hmm. People are very scared of, of having to sit and learn. And that that is one of the greatest diseases... Of anything in creation. Because Allah says, that God taught Adam all the names. You have the opportunity through education, especially Islamic education, to sit 
and to partake in the thing that elevates your soul and through which so much good happens in, in your community, in your society. And you cut that off for the simple reason, which is we were talking about previously, which is that small hidden arrogance sometimes, which is, what will people think if I sit in a class, there's so many other people, and they thought I was knowledgeable, and, you know, I'll never walk down, you know, you know, Pollock Shields again. Who cares? At the end of the day, when you're dead, you're standing in front of God, you'll be asked about questions that you wished you had prepared for on earth. And Allah's mercy does not encompass the fact that you have responsibility as well to learn. You understand? So God has given you a degree of responsibility. God has given you an in intellect. As I mentioned, God has honoured the sons of Adam. One of the honouring of the son of Adam is that they're able to think, they're able to articulate, they're able to, th they're able to process ideas, and they're able to differentiate between right and wrong. And the reality is, you know, we have to question ourselves, are we on the side of the one that gives the, the calling card, which is God, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim? Do you want to do his work, or do you want to start to do the work of shaitan, which is, I'm better than him. And it doesn't matter if you're in a mosque doing that, or if you're in, a, in, a, in an organization, or you're in the house. That is the, that is the, that is the place of, Ad, of Adam, sorry, shaitan, and the other is the side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have that choice. SubhanAllah. It's been so inspiring to hear how merciful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really is and uh, our opportunities that we have in this blessed month of Ramadan to get that mercy um, and to work hard for that mercy, inshallah. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts all of our fasts uh, and we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to be of those that have really uh, achieved that mercy um, and really have been forgiven uh, for, for our shortcomings. Um, inshallah, iftar today will be at 9.55. That's 9.55, inshallah. We're going to go into now some short gems of wisdom, uh, after which uh, we will have the Maghrib Adhan. Uh, please do remember all of us in your prayers uh, today and uh, pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows his mercy upon the Ummah as a whole. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.